Hello, heroes, and welcome to the first episode of Campaign Side Trip. I'm Kat Cool, your host and game master. And I'm Franks Paul, your host and game master. Uh, Our, yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're doing this thing. And this is this. This is this. God, where to begin? I guess the story of this starts at Star Wars Celebration. I was going to say, was this... Did we start deciding to do this on the plane ride back from Celebration? I think so. So, and Celebration is when we kicked it around and we were like, hey, remember Side Trip? That story that... Jesus Christ. That Zahn and and Mike Stackpole wrote together. And we were like, yeah, that's incredibly self-indulgent. It was very self-indulgent. And then on the plane on the way back, we were like, what if we did that, though? What if we did that? What if we did that? And how would that even look? And then we decided for us, it would have to be Sherlock Holmes plus Indiana Jones. Yeah. And then it became clear that... And then we knew what that was. We knew what that was. That had to be a Thrawn and Lynn joint, yeah. basically. Yep. And uh, I think you were like, would that be Lynn's flashback? Yeah. And I was like, no, Lynn, Lynn has a flashback. Flashbacks are an important thing for campaign. They serve a purpose. Right. Um, They're not just self-indulgent nonsense. No. But this is. This very much is. And I, I guess it'll become clear why. Uh, but why don't... I, I feel like it is already. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe we should talk about the characters that we're playing and then just sort of... Sure. And then James will have James do his, like, intro. I'm really looking forward to that because I'm not going to give him any notes. He's just going to have to make it up? He's going to have to make it up. Good luck. Good so luck, our yeah. characters... Mm-hmm. I'm playing a 25-year-old Lintel Laroon. Yeah, so uh, Lynn in the current campaign timeline is 33, right? So she's a little less seasoned here. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have modified her character sheet accordingly. Yes. She's the same class, and she has almost the same ability scores, but I think she's lower in brawn. And lower in brawn and lower in int. So she's a little less seasoned, but that's okay, because Lynn is actually not working alone the way she was the first time we we meet her on the Minoc. She has a best friend. She's working with her best friend. And uh, there was a dear Minoc a while back where there was a controversy about whether or not Bacta was Lynn's best friend and Lynn just said no. No. <laughs> and now we get to find out who Lynn's best friend is. Yep. And, uh, you know, we've pa- known for a few months who. We've known for a few months. Uh, also, uh, Buka has known for a few months. Yeah. But yeah, Lynn's best friend is a gentleman named Tap Chitra. Tap is a professor at the University of Sandra along with Lynn. They have the same specialization. They're pretty much at the same place in, t- in terms of like where they are in their career. And uh, Same age. Same age. Tap is a Corellian human who is very sort of ambivalent about it uh what's your what's your um class uh my class is hotshot ah. which is very or i guess your specialization my yeah. specialization is um which i is pilot i believe that's a pilot yeah it is a pilot you're a Corellian pilot i'm a Corellian pilot uh i'm about as there might embarrassed be about it as... other things too about you that we'll learn in time i don't think we need to talk about that yet hmm. uh, i think yeah, all you okay. need to know for right now is that i'm playing a Corellian pilot and we can leave it at that okay thanks and yeah tap's a good boy he's very anxious he's like he loves Lynn dearly. They're like best friends. And yeah, she loves him. They've known each other since they were... Uh, I think they went to college together. They went to college together. So yeah. they've known each other since they were 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, they're both like sort of prodigy types. Because in Star Wars, like you can be a PhD slash a senator when you're like 14. So like... Yeah, they're Coruscant U mm-hmm. grads. Yep, yep. Um, they both went to Coruscant U together. And then they landed positions at the University of Sombra. Uh, yeah, which is kind of like the odd child. Yeah, yeah. The University of Sombra, um, you'll see in a lot of expanded universe sort of in-universe documents about xenology. Like, they're very big on archaeology and xenology, which is what makes them a good fit for, for, for Laroon and Chitra. Yeah. Um, but they're on the Coruscant branch, which makes it easier for Lynn to split her time between being a professor and also working with Explore Corps, which is something that I think we know about her from campaign as well. Yep. And then I'm also playing a character called Mithrin Poforian, mm-hmm. House Myth. Mm-hmm. Um, ugh, Chiss is a whole 
God, it's, it's a, just a whole It's thing. a whole lot. Yeah. But Thrawn needed an assistant. Yeah. Uh, Thrawn always has a, a Watson figure to his yeah. homes. And we thought it would be very interesting to have that figure be a Chiss. Yes. And, and see what, what a young was, Thrawn is like. Yeah, what because we are used to seeing that figure be a human. human yeah. So uh, we made one. And I don't know. She's fun. She, she's very computersy. And I think it could be interesting having two Chiss play off against each other, given mm-hmm. that we normally just see Chiss and humans, and there's sort of a tension and a dynamic between the two culturally. But we thought it would be fun to explore how two Chiss could be different. Yep. Yep. Together, they are tasked with exploring like a, a very non-Chist subject. Yeah. So we'll be seeing a lot of that. And you are... I am, of course, going to be playing uh, Mithron Nuruodo. Who really needs no introduction. God, what do we even do? How do we even begin? We knew we wanted Thrawn versus Lynn. Yeah. Which is kind of what is what enabled here. And I, like both of us actually, delved into the world's worst book club in preparation for this. I think we read pretty much every short story and novel that was relevant, like that had Thrawn in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that was relevant. Yeah. Because there are so many that we didn't read that... That we read in the past, but we didn't yeah. for this go-round. Things that were close to the time period for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, things that dealt with, like, aliens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I guess we hope you like it. We're we're going to have a lot of fun recording this, which I'm sure will come out. It may be that only we like this, but that's okay. That's that's fine. That might even... That's not our goal. We just wanted to... We wanted to have fun. Yeah. I don't know. I don't get to play a lot of things for me anymore. Yeah. And this is definitely a thing for me. That was one of the reasons we decided to actually do this, right? Because we have a lot of projects that we kick around and are like, oh, maybe we'll do that, maybe we'll do that. But this is one where you wanted to do something that was just fun. Yeah. And we weren't even sure we were going to record this yeah, at first. Yeah, we that's just true. W- wanted to play a game together. And then the amount of work that it became, we were like, it became oh, clear, this should be a we Patreon should thing. We record yeah. this We should record people. this, yeah. And it's like... Well, we're doing all this stuff anyway. Yeah, we are. Why not? We would be doing this anyway. And it's our it was our excuse to get art done for it. Yeah, and- yeah, which we will be releasing with it. <laughs> so you can see sort of these sassy, sassy folks. Oh, you should also talk about uh, Frenna because they're going to see art of her as well. Oh, I guess we should. Uh, there's a villain involved. What should we say? We should talk about how she's a phantom thief and like... Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. The phantom thief is a character that is very near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Has been for a long time. Frenna is... Chaffronisir, another Chiss, mm-hmm. is uh, based off of Lupin. Lupin is a French phantom thief, one of the original ones, and is one of my favorites because, well, for many reasons, but it's like a dapper phantom thief in a tuxedo and is one of like the first characters that I know of that was really in fandom space because his author loved Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And was like, hey, Conan Doyle, let me write a crossover. And Conan Doyle was like, no. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, 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 no. And uh, they were like, no, come on. It's going to be great. I'm like the most popular writer right now in France and you're in England. This will, everyone will love it. And they was like, no, absolutely not. I hate Sherlock Holmes. This isn't happening. So he just wrote a thing called Herlock Sholmes yeah. versus Lupin. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's amazing. It's so good. It's so good. I read this as a chat. I didn't read the Lupin source material. Right. But because I read all the Sherlock Holmes stuff, I read this. Right. I read the Sherlock Holmes thing. And it's, there's a certain amount of incredible that only happens when someone who really, really loves a thing, but is not the original author of it yeah. creates. And this is that in spades. Yeah. So, um, man, if we're doing Indiana Jones and Sherlock Holmes, I want them to fight not just each other, 
but, but a phantom someone. Myth. Yeah. So we've got Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is Marcus Brody. Yeah. We've got uh, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is Watson. And then we've also got a phantom thief we character that we've entered. Lupin. Yeah. So that's what's going on. Uh, Sorry about us. Yeah. We're not good. But we, hey, we've never pretended we were. And we're doing our best. <laughs> Are we? This is definitely our best. We're really bad. We're really not any good. So, uh, hey, enjoy. Get ready for this. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. In the bustling metropolis of Chicago, two podcasters are back on their bullshit. Cat Cool, a Devil May Care podcaster with a penchant for penumbral protagonists, and her close friend, Pranks Paul, an ace X-Wing advocate and attendant of abundant Star Wars adage, have teamed up to face a shared threat that lurks in their past. Despite decades of media consumption and innumerable better subjects to occupy their time and energy, the two have committed dozens of hours to producing a podcast about their OCs matching wits with the red-eyed barrel boy. Can they kick the habit, or will this send them further down the path of Chiss compulsion? Let's do the destiny roll. Okay, why don't you start with Lynn, and then I'll roll for tap? Okay. Lynn got two light sides. Woo! Good job, Lynn! Tap Tap got got two two light sides! Good job, kids! I'm so proud of them. They did good. Four light. Four total. light. So I'll roll for Thrinpo and... I'll roll for Mithron Go for um, it. One dark, one dark side. side. And Two. one dark side. Yay! <laughs> oh, how appropriate. Our kids did great. Also, the, the <laughs> Look Chiss... Look at this team. We're going to do great. The Chiss team didn't want to didn't wanna exert themselves or make it look ridiculous, so they only went for one dark side. Yes, because just... they don't need more than that. Mm-mm. No. Okay, cool. So we've got four light side for the light side kids and two dark side for the dark side kids. Yes. All right. Uh, 22 BBY, unknown regions, the borders of the Chiss Ascendancy. Mithron Nuruodo sits in dim light, surrounded by various paintings and sculptures, most of which are of Chiss make, but a few would probably be recognizable in the wider galaxy. There's a dim spotlight that's right over him, and he has his currently has his back to the camera, and he's sitting motionless. There's a spotlight on him, so please describe him. So what you can see in the spotlight is that the spotlight makes his black hair kind of shiny. His blue-black hair, His blue-black hair, yes, kind of shiny. So it's black, but the way this animation style works is the blue highlights kind of come out. Mm-hmm. And the hair is cropped relatively short. You can see his, like, blue ears and eyes are closed at present he is sitting on his knees uh with his back to the camera he's wearing a black skin tight outfit with burgundy highlights sort of on the arms kind of highlighting it like nightwing style sort of where the lines and stuff are and he's wearing a pair of like black combat boots as well his posture is like ramrod stiff and yeah cool are you this is the springhawk mm-hmm Okay. He is aboard the Springhawk, which is a Chiss cruiser, analogous in combat capability to a Star Destroyer, I would say, and of comparable length as well. You said that there's a bunch of art around. Uh-huh. There's not a view of space. No. Thrawn is currently in his private meditation chambers. What's the door situation? I believe Chiss doors are... They weren't described differently from any of the stuff that we read. So I, I think that this standard, like, like side opening um, okay. Star War door. Uh, Unless you want to do something special here. No. I, I don't, but I do recall that he had a series of 
light bands to let him know when people were approaching. Right. So it's like, so he can, he can see the shadows play basically. Although his eyes are closed right now. Yes. So he's not paying attention, but there's a door behind him Uh and a light starts changing different shades of blues. Mm -hmm. And you can see a silhouette play. Just a, a short person approaching from the distance. And then the light changes from blue to green. And then you hear the clack, 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 clack of Mm -hmm. approaching feet and kind of a hesitant pause Uh outside of the door. At this pause, Thrawn's eyes open and you can see the brilliant scarlet that comes with them. It's dimly lit, but his eyes shine in the darkness and he stands straight up and then he turns around. Lieutenant, you disturb my solitude. Commander, we're being summoned. Thrawn just waits. She presses the door and it jumps open and Mithra Beforian stands there. There is a slightly younger Chiss of very slight build, just kind of like mousy looking Mm -hmm. with similarly blue black hair, very, very densely blue black and kind of a bowl cut Mm -hmm. with her bangs in her eyes, meekly clutching to a data pad in the same uniform, but without, with lieutenant stripes, but not not as nicely decorated. And Thrawn, I believe, has silver pips on Mm -hmm. his collar and she has like none of that clearly. But with the addition of a utility belt around her, Mm -hmm. her waist. Which Thrawn lacks. Yes. And they each have, I believe, cool pistols. Yes. They have the standard chest sidearm, which we will describe later. Yeah. Yeah. She peers curiously into the room. Admiral Aralani is calling for us, sir. Thrawn bows his head and says, Then it would be inappropriate for us to keep her waiting. Follow me. And he strides confidently out of the room. Yeah, so Thrawn confidently walks past Thrinpo, who jerkily moves to try to catch up with him. Mm-hmm. And in her turning, we transition we seen wipe, yeah. to him continuing to confidently stride. In like her turning continues to turn and it's him confidently striding in the other direction right onto Aralani's ship. The scene transition is such that as Thrawn walks directly through another set of doors, he's walked past an airlock and the camera pans back and you can see that there are a few of Thrawn's warriors who are accompanying him and they're all like super buff Chiss men and women. And then bringing up the rear is Thrinpo, who's like also like having to take longer strides in order to keep up with all these people that are like sort of walking very double time she's doing like double time basically thrawn walks through the docking bay and he looks left and he looks right and he sees the standard chiss clawcraft parked this is a chiss clawcraft which does not yet have the tie fighter ball cockpits so it lacks that distinctive tie series cockpit that you would see the nasis class clawcraft later have but it still has the claw right for things kind of clutching it are they kind of swoopy yes they're yeah, swoopy yeah. so imagine like a tie interceptor with a slightly different cockpit but still the four solar panels there are a few squadrons worth this is like a pretty big carrier as you're looking amongst the claw craft make me a perception check okay what's the difficulty here just average okay That is two successes and one threat. Two successes and one threat. Okay. There is another type of ship present, Mm -hmm. a non-chiss, rather junked Hawk 290. So it's like a freighter? Mm -hmm. That's not at all from the Unknown Regions. Mm -hmm. Thrawn turns to it, and you can see all of the Chiss Clawcraft that are right there. We go into Thrawn vision, basically, and they all disappear. Mm -hmm. And then he only sees that one freighter. There's a little arrow that points down to where the cockpit is, and it has, like, two little person indicators for how many people could possibly fly this. Are you going to do this the whole time? I love this. Yes. He sees the two people who could potentially 
will be flying it. And then he notes that the back area has a larger compartment. And then there's like four humanoid shapes to six humanoid shapes right back there. He notes that the make of the engines are different from the Chiss Clawcraft that he sees around him. And there is another line that comes out that has kind of a symbol that looks like um, hyperdrive. Two sure, galaxies sure, 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 traveling sure. between galaxies. And there's a big question mark that's over there. Thrawn takes all of this in. This process, by the way, takes about half a second. Sure. And then he turns his gaze away. Okay. While he was doing that, Thrimpo almost walks into his back. Is that the disadvantage? Yes, because he had stopped moving. Uh-huh. And I think all of the warriors similarly noticed that he was preoccupied. Yeah. And Thrimpo looks around to notice what he had noticed and notices the ship. Oh, Commander. Thrawn snaps out of it for a second, then turns around and says, Lieutenant. That vessel is of unknown make. Partially correct. And then he waits. Its cockpit does seem to be built for roughly humanoid figures. Indeed. And yet we are not familiar with a Chiss model of such craft. What do we know? It is not in line with any of the ships of any of our trading partners. Excellent. It appears to be built for long-range flight based on its cargo hold. Thrawn smiles just slightly, and then he keeps walking. Thrynpo stands staring at the ship and doesn't notice that he's moved, and yeah. then rushes to catch up after she notices that the warriors have moved. As Thrynpo's rushing to catch up, Thrawn adjusts his gait so that it's easier for her to catch up. The whole retinue moves into an antechamber mm -hmm. that has been prepared for their arrival. What that looks like is lots and lots of wall coverings and scrolls. With, with different symbols. All in burgundy. Yeah. Thrawn moves forward. It's like a large audience chamber. And he strides basically into the center of the room. And then he stops there as if waiting for someone to say something. So standing already in the room mm -hmm. is Admiral Aralani, who had invited him, and her small retinue of about four warriors, four warriors who yeah. were on the ship. Thrawn Red also Line. has four warriors. All of her staff is dressed in white. Mm -hmm. They are... Dazzling white, like gleaming white. Gleaming white. She is the only one who is dressed in pure white. Yeah. Everybody else has stripes in a similar Nightwingy style. Yeah. One has burgundy and then the rest have... One is yellow and two are green. Mm -hmm. Aralani has long black, blue black. Everybody has blue black hair. Hers is up in a complicated bun. She is very, very tall and strong. She's standing very formally, not like uncomfortably, but very, very formally. And she steps to the center of the room. She has a wooden floor and it has like a center spot that seems to be inlaid into the wood for the purpose of mm -hmm. this and says, In the name of all who serve the Chiss, I greet you, Sendik Mithranuruodo. He inclines his head and says, I accept your greeting and greet you in return. Admiral Aralani, do you guarantee my safety and the safety of my crew? I guarantee your safety with my life and the lives of those in my command. She bows her head low. Enter in peace and with trust. Thrawn does a deep bow in return. And then his head comes back up and he was sort of stiff before and he just kind of straightens. And then he just walks over to her mm -hmm. um, and he gestures at Thrynpo and he says, I believe you are familiar with my assistant, ah. Mithrin Poforian. Yes. Enter. Thrynpo excitedly bobbles over. Greetings, Admiral. I trust that the voyage was smooth. Thrawn nods. We should proceed. 
Thrawn gestures at his warriors, indicating that they can stay behind. And then he starts walking next to Admiral Arlani. And I assume that Thrynpo doesn't follow. So he just turns around and looks at her. Uh, and then she, like, catches up. Yes. Thrawn and Thrynpo follow into Admiral Arlani's office. Or a uh, ready room, I guess, is better. Um, no. No, they don't go there. They go to forward one. Okay. Right. Because there's that... Dick. Where you can see the whole... Yes. Yeah. Because I'll just... Let's explain this. No! We have to... We have to! Fine! So all chess vessels, if you were in the Republic Navy, the thing that would strike you most when visiting a chess vessel is... How much I hate of, this game. How much of the viewport is given over to actually being able to see the entire battlefield? Multiple viewports. Multiple viewports. Whereas most ships would rely on sensors and rely on like sort of computer data and stuff like that. Chiss vessels, you have that. And you, you do. Have that built you in have in the that. screens. Of course you do. But you have a surprising amount of, I don't know if they use transparent steel, but whatever it is, it's clear viewport I'm sure material. It's steel. And, and the reason for this is given that. Well, you can't. The eyes of the chiss so there's nothing there's nothing superior to the eyes of the chiss excuse you the eyes of the chiss are extremely superior the eyes I, of the I chiss said there's like, nothing superior oh, oh i thought you meant the the, eyes of the chiss. there's nothing superior about the eyes of the chiss no. oh, okay all right same form no. sorry yeah, yeah 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 so so you have someone around just to spot just in case because yeah. there are plenty of things that can mask sensors yes. yeah so you have a warrior in each of the view pods yeah <sighs> All right, so we're there. How about forward three? Because it is current, currently unoccupied, yeah. and it's beautiful. Yeah. Quite beautiful. You can see like the expanse of the unknown region sort of stretching out. Uh-huh. There is a long couch mm-hmm. that is curved. And so one of the things that Thrawn does that's very annoying to his commanding officers is that he always declines to speak first or say anything like, so what is this about? Which is irritating because when you have a subordinate and you summon them, you expect subordinate to say something like, well, thanks for bringing me here or some sort of pleasantries. And Thrawn just like stands there. So that's what he does here. Thrawn stands there and you can see Thrynpo getting uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because he like always does this. Yeah. So Arlani is used to dealing with Thrawn Mm -hmm. and she likes him, but he's an annoying. So she's waiting him out, which is making Thrynpo extremely uncomfortable. Yes. So after a little while of this, Thrynpo says, the stars look really nice today, huh? Thrawn sharply inclines his head towards her and then he smiles slightly. Indeed. There's another elongated pause. Admiral? Thrawn's smile increases by, like, a micron. Aralani gestures to the couch. Thrawn goes and sits down on the couch with his back not touching the couch. He just sits, like, basically in the front of it. Sure. Thrynpo goes and perches awkwardly yeah. at an angle where she can observe them. Both of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Thrawn's, like, on one corner. The Admiral is still standing in front of them, and then Thrynpo's in a corner. Yes. And she's, like, and she's tapping on her data pad. furious yeah. notes. Yesterday, we received word from Adamar. A missive was sent. I'm curious what you make of it. So Thrawn sits forward. He pyramids his fingers, and he says... Adamar is a region well within Republic space, far beyond the borders of the Chase Ascendancy. On what frequency was this missive transmitted? By message capsule. She walks over to a table Mm -hmm. that has a number of things on it and takes a box and then from out of a box, a pod. It is a a weird little capsule Mm -hmm. that looks kind of like an earth, kind of like those jumpy things that you put in bank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you use to put like currency and checks and stuff like that, that go through the tubes. Go through the tubes. Yeah. And brings it over and hands it to Thrawn. Okay. Thrawn has the capsule in his hands, but then he like also turns over to where the table is. And I want to make a perception check about what else is on the table. Sure. 
Two successes. Two successes. So there's a bunch of schematics, Mm -hmm. mostly that. And then stuff about the stuff. Stuff about the stuff about the war that we're fighting. Oh. Yeah. Arlani's project, and then there's like other internal stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then there is a thing of paper samples Mm -hmm. that doesn't quite line up. There is also something having to do with how would we do like font analysis? Oh, um, you know, like you mean in the Star Wars universe? I bet there is a device of some kind, like almost like an iPad, two iPads in front of each other and one of it's clear and it's scanning the paper and then projecting information about handwriting. So it's not active, but there's one of those devices. Okay. So that's what they... Thrawn passes his gaze over the table and there are several objects and artifacts that he color codes a dull brown. Then there are some objects that are orange and these are things that are of interest that he will try to figure out later. And then finally in Scarlet, there are a handful of pieces of paper on the table, which is very interesting to him. And there's a device that is right next to them, which some of the pieces of paper have clearly gone through because Thrawn notices that the paper started out crinkled. And then there are some pieces of paper which seem like from the same collection that are smooth. Mm. So he knows that they have already gone through whatever this device is, basically. Right. Thrawn next turns his gaze to the object that is in his hands. Is it open? It has been opened. It has been opened. But it is closed again. So actually what Thrawn is going to do before he picks up this object then is he is going to slide his hands into the pockets of the uniform that he has and when they come out they have the glow plastic gloves on them and then he picks up the object and he turns it over several times should i make a perception check about this object yes okay damn blue boy he turns it over with his hands and he figures out like there's not a whole lot he can figure out just tactily so he gives it to thrinpo lieutenant if you would be so kind. And he wants her to, like, scan it. Thrinpo, similarly, before touching it, mm-hmm. she doesn't take latex gloves out. She simply folds up the glove attachments from her uniform uh-huh. that she has customized. This makes Thrawn smile slightly. Uh, he thinks Thrinpo is very cute. And she takes the device, puts it on her lap, and takes her scanner and scans over it. I am seeing readings in line with everything that the Admiral is saying. This indeed did come from Adumar, and it has traces of Threk 3 mold, which puts it in line with the sort of pods that we would have seen 50 years ago from that region. A very old and outdated mode of communication. Given this data, two possibilities exist, Lieutenant. What is your guess? I would suppose that the message pod took a long time to reach Chiss space. Excellent. What is your reason for rejecting the second of the two possibilities? The second possibility, sir? Thrawn smiles. You are progressing quite nicely, Lieutenant. There are two possibilities. One is that Adumari technology is extremely outdated. The second is that the pod took a long time to reach Chiss space. It's possible to determine which of these possibilities is more likely based on analyzing the energy signature of the propulsion system that brought the message pod to us. Lieutenant? Oh, and she starts keying desperately on the thing. It seems that the propulsion system is quite modern. The propulsion system was installed six months ago, which lines up with the mold growth on the pod. Thrawn turns to Admiral Arlani. But of course, Admiral, these are all facts known to you. The Admiral's cheeks are rather tight. I was looking for you to open the pod. (laughs) All things in due time, Admiral. He takes the pod and he opens it. Okay. (laughs) What's inside? (laughs) God, he's the worst. He's He's the worst. He's so annoying. He's not any good. (laughs) Uh, there's a piece of paper. Paper? Yes. 
Okay. Paper. 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 Not flimsy. Not flimsy. Paper. Paper. Okay. I'm, Not that weird. No. Or, no. I want to analyze the paper. Okay. And is this going to be a perception check, a lore check? Oh. Maybe the composition of the paper itself would be perception? Yes. Yeah, so many things. So let's start with the perception. One success and one advantage. One success and one advantage. Okay. So this is a, a very nice thick piece of rice paper Mm -hmm. it is a golden yellow in color Mm -hmm. and it is printed with a design of aesir flowers there is ink what is it when it's raised embossed oh embossed ink yeah embossed ink in a dark blue that says in tune dearest members of the chis ascendancy on x time and date i will be reclaiming the great crystal of antonai which your severance ton is currently targeting try to stop me yours fondly the Aesir. And that is about... Preliminary the, investigation. The preliminary. Rise. Cool. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts as to what you want your advantage to be? I was thinking the advantage could be, since I was looking at the paper composition itself, the advantage I think could be the ink. Okay. The ink, especially considering you had noticed the font assessing tools uh-huh. earlier on the table, your Thrawn vision kicks in mm-hmm. and starts pulling apart different things about this. So it like looks at the rough hewn edges of mm-hmm. the paper and different fiber samplings and the ink stands out red. Most of this paper seems really in line with Chiss stuff. Something was weird. Interesting. About the flowers. Uh-huh. But this ink has nothing to do with the Chiss. Okay. So Thrawn takes all of this in, and then in the dim light of the office, he like closes his eyes really quickly, which makes the bright red eyes wink out for a second. And oh, then he opens them what a glow. wide and says, Of course, Admiral, let us begin with the quality of the material. A plant-based pulp mixture, unless I am mistaken, our own archives use an analogous resource due to its longevity and resistance to electronic intrusion. He pauses to see whether or not the Admiral's tracking. She is. When she gives him a nod, he says, The message itself is printed in a colloidal solution of fine pigment particles dispersed in some sort of dried solvent of some kind. I am uncertain of the precise chemical composition. I will have the lieutenant provide more details. Does he hand over the paper? Not yet. He holds up a finger. She had reached for it. he holds up a finger. He's the worst. (laughs) He then says, As for the script itself, it appears to be printed in tune. He turns to Thrinpo. I shall require a few more moments for graphology. Preliminary analysis indicates a right-handed individual utilizing a high degree of pressure, which indicates average to above-average grip strength. I would hazard that the individual in question is relatively active, hardly surprising since most factors point towards an individual of our own heritage. He pauses for a little while to see whether or not the other two are like, whether or not their eyes glaze over, which is not something that happens normally with the Chiss or with people that he talks to, but it's a polite thing to do. Absolutely. They have not. They are both tracking. Mm Mm-hmm. Turning to the text of the message itself, the writer indicates an interest in criminal activity, which is equal parts alarming and exhilarating. At which point, Aralani's eyes widen slightly. While criminal activity is not unheard of within our borders, rarely does the offending individual alert the authorities in such a brazen fashion. And at this, his smile increases just by a micron, and he stares directly at Aralani. You're familiar with the criminal in question. I have enough to hazard a guess at this moment. However, there are more details that I would provide to you by your leave. Please start making checks and okay. go ridiculous. I want to uh, zero in on this flower, which I know is noteworthy. And mm-hmm. then the next thing I want to check in is on the ink itself. Yeah, those so, are the two things you should. Um, oh, and you should also probably check on Antonai here. 
You should be doing a lore check, buddy. Yeah. So there are three things I have to check. The Great Crystals of Antonai. Oh, oh, also, you need to check on what's-her-face. Good old Severance. I know who we know who she is. Yes, okay. So there, <laughs> there are four, four There are four checks that I have to go into. Four checks that you have to go into. One is the Acer Flower. Yeah, Acer Flower. One is the Ink. Yep. One are the Great Crystals of Antonai. Mm-hmm. And then one is Severance Tan herself. Yeah. Okay, so we'll do those in order first. Sounds good. Please. At this point, he hands the capsule over to Thrinpo, and he continues. She eagerly takes it and scans it with her data pad. Her handheld, like, yeah. And a bunch of little screens start popping up and she starts making analysis. Thrawn vision kicks in at this point, like we're in his eyes, and holographically projects an image, the faint image of the flower that was printed into this rice paper. And I will make a, gosh, what sort of check would this be? Lore? Xenology? Xenology? Yeah, I think xenology. Uh, what's the difficulty here? I think here? That the other thing you could use is knowledge outer worlds. Either's fine. Uh, they're equivalent. So I think I will use outer rim because from my point of view, this is the outer rim to me. Yeah. You know, what's the difficulty? It feels kind of hard. It does feel hard. Agreed. All right. And hey Whoa. Just a success. You know what it is. The flower pops up in his holographic vision and we see a projected galaxy map, mm-hmm. most of which is not filled in because the Chiss have not explored that far beyond their borders, but a particular world pops up and the name of the world is Bothawai. Mm. Admiral, the flower in question is a plant indigenous to the Bothawai system, home of the Bothans, a species known for their spycraft. Admiral Aralani raises an eyebrow slightly. How do you know that? My military duties leave ample time for artistic pursuits. And indeed, he has seen this in art. The Aesir flower, as we saw, is a, a pretty, exceptionally yonic flower. I think it looks like a calla lily. Mm-hmm. I think they're white with like yellow stamens. Is that what the... Stamens, yeah. Yeah, and green stems. And have a lot of female sexual symbolism attached to them that he shouldn't know about at all. Yeah. <laughs> but he looks at a lot of still lifes. Yeah. What a nerd. He's a... He's a bit of a nerd. He's a little bit of a nerd. Okay, so that was that was the flower. The next thing that I needed to make a check on was the ink. The ink. Right? So Thrawn Vision kicks in again, and we zero in on the ink. Oh, our first triumph. Oh, dang. Yeah, so we've got two successes, an advantage, and a triumph. Oh, that's this was a good one to get a triumph on, buddy. Awesome. Uh, lay it on me. Okay. You guys don't emboss often. First off, you just don't do that. Yeah. You've seen embossing done, Yep. obviously, but most of the stuff, it's not just Republic. You have other trading partners mm-hmm. and things. So you figured this was foreign made, but that it's weird to see Chun done Absolutely, in yeah. it. So it's like, uh, why is this person doing this in the first place? And then there's the ink itself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel synthetic. Mm, it's biological material. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Pranks, it's Mon Cal ink. It's Mon Cal ink. And with that triumph, mm-hmm. I think you have enough information to know that there aren't enough Mon Cal in the area for this to be super reasonable. Mm-hmm. However, there is a luxury liner that is supposed to be operating in recent space. Mm-hmm. That, That's uh, doing an outer rim tour. Yes. That started up a few months back, very, very recently. So A luxury liner which might have a gift shop in which you could purchase ink for correspondence. Something like that. Yeah. Cool. But how do you even know about Moncal Inc.? How do I know about Moncal Inc.? I imagine it's because I read accounts of Moncal Opera, printed books which are written using ink. Moncal Inc. has distinct properties because it's a very moist planet. And so the ink has to be something that'll preserve well. Sure, yeah. Admiral, are you familiar with an aquatic species 
Within the Republic known as the Mon Calamari. Within the Republic? Within the Republic. No. The Mon Calamari are an aquatic species that inhabit a planet known as Dak. Dak is, as you might imagine, covered in vast quantities of ocean. Dak's climate means that the ancient Mon Calamari had to develop particular ways of preserving records, not unlike the methods we used in order to preserve our own cultural knowledge on Scylla. The unique qualities of Mon Calamari ink are displayed on this rather curious artifact you have brought me. Bothawai and now Dak. You do seem to know an awful lot about the Republic. Thrawn just remains silent and looks innocent. <laughs> Continue. Bothawai and Dak are not located along the same interstellar hyperlane, which leads me to the hypothesis that the provenance of this message united those two cultures in some way. Our own records indicate the operation of a Republic cruise liner that skirts along the border of our region. This particular cruise liner was manufactured on Dak, the home of the Mon Calamari. So our criminally inclined fan of Severance Tan likes ships. At the mention of the name Severance Tan, Thrawn's eyebrow arches slightly. Mm. I'm going to make a knowledge warfare check okay. about Severance. Sounds good. And what's the difficulty here? For them, it's an easy. Yes, she's well known. It would be very funny if I failed this. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you didn't. I didn't. I, in <laughs> fact, passed with four successes, a triumph, and an advantage, yeah. which is what happens when Thrawn rolls warfare checks. <laughs> yeah. So you can talk about Severance Tan. Okay. I, I don't need to. Sure. Severance Tan. Thrawn's shoulders droop slightly. In fact, all of the chiss in the room. Yeah. They all react. Yeah. Thrinpo, she's been rapidly assembling a lot of information, grabbing stuff about the Mon Cal cruiser and grabbing stuff about a bunch of things about the flowers, actually, and things about like the fibers within the paper and pulling up a specific location for it, like where it was made and things like that. But at the mention of Severance Tan, she ceases that activity and just starts rubbing her fingers back and forth on the on-off switch of the data pad. And Aralani stands Slightly straighter. Severance Tan. A dark stain within our history. One of the few of our number to leave Chiss space willingly. It would make sense that this individual would have consorted with the Republic heavily. Given Severance's abilities at spycraft, this admirer would have left a Bothan clue in order to clue us in that Severance Tan was somehow involved. Given the construction of the message, it seems extremely likely that... Our mystery correspondent wants us to find and confront Severance Tan in some form. And that leaves the Great Crystal of Antonai. Okay, that's lore. This is a hard lore check. Yeah. You know, I really thought Blue Boy was going to fail a check, but that is one threat. Three successes otherwise. The Great Crystal of Antonai is a very, very old artifact that once belonged to the peoples of Andoran, renowned for its healing properties. It went missing thousands of years ago when it was stolen by the Rakata, who were a conquering species that were pretty evil. Yeah, it spread out all over the galaxy and subjugated most of the known intelligent species yes. in the galaxy. But because of that, we know about a lot of stuff. Yeah. They left lots of ruins all over the place mm -hmm. and collected a lot of interesting artifacts mm -hmm. and have put them in temples places. Yep. This is one such thing. It heals people and it kept them alive and let them conquer. Yes. It kept them alive artificially and helped them conquer. Mm -hmm. So that's the deal behind this thing. 
nobody's heard of it for a very long time. So now Thrawn has investigated Severance Tan, the flower, the ink, and the great crystals of Antonai. Is there anything else? I don't think that there's any big ticket things, but anything that you would like to start piecing together who this person could be, mm-hmm. now is the time because that is who Aralani was asking you. Yeah. The way that she is looking at you is slightly smug. So she might know who this is, but she's waiting to see if you can get there. Yeah. Why don't I roll knowledge core worlds, I guess it would be? Yeah. And try to figure out, I know this is an individual of Chiss origin yep. based on the fact that they speak Chun. Maybe there's a setback because the person in question is extremely clever. There is a setback and there is a boost. Okay. There's a boost for a reason that... That will become clear? Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Cool. Three successes and two advantage. Okay. The paper is stock that is produced on a planet called Saus. Okay. That Within the Chiss Ascendancy. Yes. Okay. Which is a manufacturing planet uh-huh. that has been having some troubles. Okay. On top of that, from Saus, recently, there were a number of art thefts. Uh-huh. That is your boost die. Uh-huh. Saus is generally ruled by House Enrochini, and House Chaff mm-hmm. has been having some issues with House Enrochini. Thinking through all of the potential alignments and varying stuff and the art acquisitions going into and out of all of these places, you're pretty sure that a Mon Cal piece has shown up in some of the collections in House Chaff. And also, there has been a member at different Chaff events named Chaffrinasir. Thrawn, sensing what passes for impatience emanating from the Admiral, just looking at their... Her cheeks are rather tight. Her cheeks, and her cheeks are a bit tight, and he's sensing that her pulse is starting to, like, quicken a little bit. He says, as for the identity of this individual, I am pleased to report my familiarity with one Chaffrinasir. And yes, Admiral, the chiss in question left us the broadest, most obvious hint possible, printed on the borders of the message, artfully, though obviously done. Admiral Arlani smiles slightly. And internally, Thrawn is very excited by that, but he doesn't show it, obviously. Aww. Aww. He turns to Thrinpo. Lieutenant, anything to add? Only questions at this time. Please, he gestures. Severance Tan, last we knew of her... Had she aligned herself with any force such that an acquisition of the Great Crystal of Antonai would potentially endanger the Ascendancy? Thrawn cheeks tighten a little bit and he gets a little more serious. Cutting to the heart of the matter, Admiral, this is what you would wish us to find out, is it not? She narrows her eyes. Indeed. She cocks her head to the side. What is this crystal? Thrawn bows slightly and says, Admiral, I believe we are possessed of a teachable moment. And he turns to his assistant and gestures for her. Thrinpo's ears turn a shade of lavender, Mm -hmm. but she stands and bows. The great crystal of Antonai once belonged to the people of Andoran, but came into the possession of the Rakata conquerors millennia ago, enabling their warriors to fight without cease. It is a healing crystal said to be about four feet in size and immensely powerful. It has since passed into obscurity. However, the evidence is clear. It was, in fact, quite capable of its claims. These worlds, and she pulls up a map of about 30 worlds, Mm -hmm. were conquered in the immediate period after the time in which they came into the possession of the artifact in a 10-year burst, and it had taken them 30 years to conquer as many planets in the time prior. 
Thrawn smiles slightly and says, Thank you, Lieutenant. Your analysis was more than adequate for the purposes of this investigation. She bows again and sits back down. Thrawn then turns to Arlani and says, The freighter parked in the docking bay of this vessel is of a nonchious origin. It's a statement, not a question. And presumably, therefore, possesses the hyperdrive capabilities to leave Chiss space. My cursory analysis indicates that it could be crewed by two individuals, or, in the most extreme of circumstances, a single individual, given the sensitivity of this matter and that my warriors were left behind. I presume that you wish myself and the lieutenant to investigate. Is this correct? Indeed. Your primary mission is to prevent Severance Tan from coming into the possession of the crystal. Your secondary mission is to arrest Chafrin Asir. The Ascendancy would not wish to see House Chaff come into the possession of this crystal either. By Olive, Admiral. He bows and then strides out of the room. As Thrawn goes, Thrymdo's eyes widen. She looks at the Admiral, stands abruptly, bows, waits for Admiral Arlani to nod at her, mm-hmm. and then heads off after him. Once she catches up, he turns to her. Lieutenant, have you noticed anything unusual about our two objectives provided to us by the Admiral? The lack of a third objective. At this, Thrawn actually smiles and says, Correct. The status of the crystal itself is an open question. (laughs) With scene transition. (laughs) We should say what the scene transition is. Yeah. So, it's going to have to be something on Thrynpo's data pad. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, gosh. What is it? It'll have to probably be, it's the crystal. Yes. Stupid. I hate this game. (laughs) So, it's the great crystal of Antoni. And then there is a stupid chalk drawing of this temple and Onderon on a chalkboard. On a f-ing chalkboard, Lynn? Are you kidding me with this? Shit? Of course. Of course it's on a chalkboard. I hate her. Uh, <laughs> it's a, there's a really nice day. The grass is green. The sky is blue. The artificial grass. Yes, the artificial grass on a building that doesn't have brick, but it, it feels like it feels like a college campus yeah. on Earth, even though that is not what is happening here. We are in Coruscant. That same morning, the University of Sombra, Coruscant branch. The classroom of Dr. Lintel Laroon. Gross. Dr. Lintel Laroon is teaching a class to a bunch of senior undergrads. Mm-hmm. So not a large group. Mm-hmm. This is more of a usually discussion class. Uh-huh. Um, It's a seminar. Yes, it's a seminar, but nobody is really participating at the moment. Mm -hmm. There are about six kids, and they're all scribbling in notebooks, staring out the window. So there's like, there's a Zabrak, Mm -hmm. a Rodian, I want to say a Zeltron, and the rest are humans because Coruscant, human-centric, core world culture. Dr. Lintel Laroon, all 25 years of her, Mm -hmm. is... What's she wearing? Well, that's, Yeah. yeah, is standing there in a little tweed suit. Oh, no! A little tweed suit and uh, I want to say a plaid spavat. Oh no! And like a plaid handkerchief. So it's like the sort of it's 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 a suit, but it's got jodhpurs and uh-huh. and it's just a vest. Yes. And <laughs> is it short sleeved or is it like puffy sleeved? I think when she's on it's campus, long it's long sleeve. When she's and on campus, she has the sleeves rolled up because mm-hmm. she can't deal with this. Yep. 
And she has... She's already she, received a citation for wardrobe. I don't think she deals with spavats well, so she's just wearing a bow tie. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. But it is... Spavats are very complicated to tie. Yes. Yeah. It, but it is checkered. Yes. You're correct. And she has a plain, soft leather modesty garment, like a lamb's leather, you know, like mm-hmm. a... And a soft brown. And she has tiny little reading glasses on. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, little round ones. It's so cute. So, um, Lynn has the draw the drawings, not pictures, not mm-hmm. hollow uh, photos. Like crude chalk renderings. Chalk renderings of a temple facade of a thing on Onderon, and then a relief from inside yeah. of the temple. She also has rendered like little stick figure dinosaurs flying around it because Onderon has all those awesome dinosaurs everywhere. Yes. And so there's like stick figures riding pterodactyls and dinosaurs and stuff. Yes. But the point that she keeps circling back to is the main relief, which has crude depictions of the architects. Mm-hmm. What is intended to be the architects, right? Uh, We should say who the architects are. The architects are thought to be more or less outsiders, perhaps. Mm -hmm. We're not quite sure. That made the planets Mm -hmm. that are responsible for a great deal of the creation of... The sentient beings. beings. That is the current theory, at Mm -hmm. least. Lynn is gesturing towards them. And if you, despite... Many of the differences, the two hearts of the Zabrak, despite the one heart of the human and the Twi'lek, we know that they share the same basic ancestor, despite their not being a conquering age. We think that the architects are responsible for the creation of these model species, but we have, as of yet again, no proof beyond the cultural depictions across many different parts of the galaxies that we would not have found without the cultural exchange across different media. Time and again, we find that we are more like each other than we had previously thought. We share the same types of basic societal needs. We have surprisingly similar languages. More of us are bipedal than would naturally occur in biology without an architect. So in this time of increasing stress, as forces like the separatists start weighing upon you and increased anxiety, I urge you to look to what makes us united and pulls us together instead of what pulls us apart. And then the bell rings. (laughs) As the students pick up like their books and stuff like that. And and Lynn starts going, remember that your papers are due on Friday. Tap walks in. Tap Chitra, or mm-hmm. Dr. Chitra. Dr. Uh, Tap! Do- his students call him Dr. Tap. Yes. Uh, he doesn't permit any of his colleagues to call him Dr. Tap. They call him Dr. Chitra. Talk about this good boy! Uh, so Tap Chitra is a Karelian human of tan complexion. He has straightish but wavy hair with one or two strands that are perennially falling over the front of his forehead and directly over his extremely worried and expressive eyebrows. He's usually fairly impeccably dressed for a Corwolder. He usually wears green three-piece space suits. And by that, I don't mean space suits. I mean space suits, Suits. uh, which are always complemented by a spavat, which if you want to see an example of what a spavat looks like, you should read the Star Wars main comic where Luke has to wear a spavat at one point and it's incredible. Yes, it's the Screaming Citadel and it's extremely good. At any rate, Tap perennially has like a shoulder bag slung over inside which he keeps a variety of books and notes and snacks. He's often wearing a brown under tunic underneath the like green oversuit or overcoat and has the spavat tightly tied. His detractors in the department say a little too tightly tied around his neck. 
as Lynn is like gathering up her materials and stuffing stuff into her bag, Tap just walks in with an armful of papers and just dumps them directly on her desk. Oh no. Lynn, her tattooed on eyebrows shoot up and then she just narrows them and squints over at Tap. Tap grins and says, mail for Dr. Laroon. This is why I don't go to the Tap. Couldn't you have at least waited till I got to my office? I could have. But I wouldn't have gone to my office. And your office desk is already full of papers. I checked. <sighs> okay. And then these papers would have gotten buried underneath other papers, and then you would have never answered any of this correspondence. Well, help me clean it up. Uh, Antilles has class here in like 10 minutes. He grins. So are we waiting the 10 minutes or? She grins at him too. <laughs> Elbows him. And then they both start quickly cleaning up the the mail. He says, it's the usual collection of spam notes and bills, most of which I know you were going to ignore anyway. A few letters from your mother. Uh, He looks at her. She glares. Which I've already separated out, so you don't need to look at them. But there is one particularly interesting bit of correspondence. I thought we could open it together. Okay. It doesn't have to be in your office. Your office is, with all due respect, Dr. Laroon, an awful, awful mess. It's a shambles. It's disgraceful, really. What's wrong with my office? Um, nothing if uh, you consider offices to be just a collection of detritus, bad memories, and yellowed stench paper. It's a place to put things. <sighs> it's a good thing mine is right next door. They walk through the halls. What are college halls like in Star Wars? I imagine them being a lot like the Imperial Academy, like cadet type things, except instead of the like neutral gray Imperial Earth Tone architecture, this is very like brick and like sort of old worldy. I envision that this branch is on, it's on like a repulsor lift floating pod in Coruscant because that's where a lot of the buildings are. It's pretty high up in the atmosphere and it has its own like floating island type thing. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that this college campus is like a network of warrens and tunnels and stuff like that. And then there's like classrooms and like offices and stuff like that that are in towers that are above that so that's what i'm seeing this as being good skyhooks that's what i'm thinking of. yeah it's a skyhook cool very cool the internal tunnels i can't think of anything other than like carpet and three quarters up the wall separation yeah the university of sombra this is the university of sombra's like obligatory (laughs) core world headquarters which they don't particularly like yeah so um It's between classes. So the hallways are a jumble. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing that they are. A lot of students and teachers alike are running all over the place, Mm -hmm. trying to get to class, arguing with each other, and like on their way to lunch. There's a poster promoting a lecture by a visiting Dr. Afra. The Elder. Oh, Tap and Lynn are, like, busy sniping at each other. Mm -hmm. Then Lynn sees a slightly older, a stern dean-type-looking person down the hall. I think that this dean is an anx. The, like, for the benefit of listeners, the ridiculously awesome dinosaur-like aliens with the cone, Mm -hmm. like, the giant horn. And then, like, they're, like, ten feet tall and, like, stooped. And this anx is, like, sort of striding towards them purposefully, so... The anx hasn't noticed them yet, Mm -hmm. so she grimaces and grabs tap who hasn't noticed yeah and ducks them behind a very very large student behind a dowagen student and they have to like slink around and they like barely make it around the corner and do a jump a do you think he saw us situation yes uh very nice and tap is going along with it doing all of her motions flawlessly with yeah, her but he's and still hasn't talking notice at all right and he hasn't broken his stream of invective which is about what is proper and appropriate for a professor and how a professor who is having office hours in their own office should make sure that their office is extremely clean <laughs> 
mm-hmm. not that it matters should because be you accommodating ne- to students should be accommodating to students not that it matters because you never hold office hours anyway and so i'm forced to take upon your own office hours because you're always gallivanting off with that jedi nonsense which i've told you repeatedly is all that's getting in the way of a full tenure track position on your part and i don't see the jedi paying your academic bills a student tries to hand her a paper she says come during my office hours and then they knock into she tries to go into her office and tap grabs her by the back of her collar and pulls her into his office and before he does that he grabs the paper and stuffs it in his in his back <laughs> very good we're there we're there so we're in tap's office how nice is it so tap's office is the same level of it's the same size as lynn's they're right next to each other and there's in fact an adjoining door <laughs> um and so uh Aww. so this isn't a nice office by any means it doesn't like overlook the professors who have the most prestige have offices that have giant bay windows that outlook the corsant sky and so we're basically in like little drawl warrens but tap keeps his very tiny office very neat and very polished the two things he has on his desk in one corner of his desk he has you know how like there's those old school globes the star wars equivalent is like a galaxy projector sort of yeah yeah and so he has one of those that's constantly projecting and like that's so cute and it has a setting that like that is rotated as far away from the corellian sector as possible and it's like constantly in the core worlds and then on the other side of his desk so this projector is pretty near him so he can like control it and absolutely play with it when he's doing stuff it's next to his data pad and the things that he works with and all his books and then in the top right as far away from as possible there is an extremely gauche heavy paperweight (laughs) that says like Karelian engineering corporation (laughs) on it and it's like extremely dusty and looks like it hasn't been touched in like years Mm -hmm. and it's clearly something that's just there because certain people might drop in and visit him and he needs to have it there in the corner to show that he hasn't thrown it away mm-hmm. and then like it's a shelf full of all sorts of data tapes and records and stuff like that fewer books like lynn's office is more filled with books and paper than taps yeah lynn's uh, office has cool stuff in it yeah lynn's office has like cool stuff and things you would expect like a tool professor in particular would be interested in which is to say written records tap is a lot more computer literate than lynn is, lynn is so he mostly <laughs> to say the least so he mostly has like a bunch of data tapes and like different kinds of technology and those sorts of bits yep yeah Lynn goes and takes a seat on his desk. Tap looks at Lynn, who is sitting on his desk with an air of, this is what she always does. I don't think she even notices. She doesn't even notice. And he looks at the chair that's right next to him. And then he looks at Lynn again. He sighs, and then he puts the mail down and, like, scatters it all over the desk. Yeah, she starts sorting through it. Tap continues his, like, he's almost finished his stream of invective. And then he says, and what's more, the board says we have to take a vacation soon. But... Do you remember, like, vaguely there was that, uh, I'm trying to remember, the dean had us in front of the board, and there was some sort of disciplinary measure, and something to do with the fact that we haven't taken a vacation in... Tap counts on his fingers, and then says... Ever. Uh, I thought that was a joke. No, I assure you the union is quite serious. We're supposed to take vacations every... We're supposed to take a vacation. And this letter, Tap says, holding it directly in front of her face, comes directly from the dean. And, well, I mean, you can read it. She takes it and opens it and scans it quickly. Is there... They're going to put us on forced leave? Forced administrative leave, Dr. Laroon. Paid leave? I know. Can you imagine anything worse? This is abysmal. I have a plan. I think there's a way we can make this work. We no. We can protest this. I take off all the time. Right, but you're doing it for work. They would not do this to Corellia. No, you're right. They wouldn't do this to Corellia, but Corellia is a full-tenured professor. (laughs) 
And that is the goal, is it not? Unless the plan has changed in the last five standard time units and you haven't told me. Uh, She goes back to sorting through the mail. All this to say, it's time we did some field work. Go on. A working vacation that we don't need to tell the dean about. Uh, I mean, do we even have enough saved up? I mean, all of our payments have been going into the economic independence. Well, it's time that we used its namesake for, well, its namesake. (sighs) Tap. You know how much I hate flying. The last thing I want to do is to... You're wonderful at flying. That uh, highly irrelevant, Dr. LaRune. You're the best pilot that I know. Even more irrelevant, Dr. LaRune. Hardly. (sighs) If I had my way, the economic independence would be absolutely pristine and sitting in dry dock until you and I retired. That's a waste of your skill. You should be in the field with me. I can't imagine anything worse. But if I'm forced to take a vacation, I would at the very least like some reading material or a project to occupy my time. So where are we headed? Uh, I'm not going with you and mom to Mimbam. I'm not doing any of that. The Temple of Pomojima sounds fascinating, and your mother has all those rubbings of it. Grotesque. So, I mean, do we call up your dads? No, we do not. Why not? For the same reason that we're not going to Mimbam. Your dads are not the same as my mom. Your dads are nice. <laughs> he starts making a bunch of uncomfortable noises. And you have, like, what, six of them now? Dr. Laroon, we need to work out some sort of procedure whereby if we have a joint project that we're working on and one of us definitely doesn't want to do a thing, there should be some sort of parliamentary procedure that governs our ability to say no, no definitively. And I'm going to invoke it right now. We are not going to speak to my dads. But your dads are so useful. Like, okay. Say one of us gets into a spot of legal trouble, right? We fall into a spot of legal trouble, we just call up Iblis. (sighs) Iblis is probably the least objectionable of my dad's. It's true. Or say we need someone skip traced, we call up Halcyon. You know my desire to avoid any involvement with law enforcement. Well, it's not like I exactly want to deal with that either, but sometimes you need to. If and when we get into that sort of trouble, I will deign to consider calling up one of my innumerable and increasing dads. But that's not the problem we have before us. No, the problem we currently have is what to do on vacation. So we should probably... Do you have to use that word? Call up Brex. He's a travel agent, right? Why? I don't understand why travel agents still exist in, in, in this day and age. I don't understand what he does all day. Come to think of it, that's probably why Halcyon left him. I don't know why we have to take a vacation, Tap. We have to take a vacation because this letter says we have to take a vacation. All I'm saying is that we should do something productive with it. By all means, you propose it. It's just I don't have any funding. Well, this was going to be off the books anyway. What do we need funding for? What do you mean? We have access to university resources and the library. We have all that we need in the palm of this data pad. What would we possibly need funding for? Supplies. Don't we need supplies and stuff? Tap folds his arms and says, you're the one who's been in the field. Yeah, and you like, you get supplies from... Tap, you like need things. Why can't we just order delivery? Tap, you need money for delivery. Oh, you mean like credits? Yes. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Tap. No, honey, you... The world doesn't just give you things. You need to, like, actively work for them. Well, I already work. You have a very cushy job at a very nice school. Yes, and why aren't they providing me with supplies, then? They are providing you with office supplies. But if you want to go and do nice field work, you need to get it approved. And it is a lot and lots of red tape. Not the sort of thing you get to do on vacation. She's saying this while looking through a lot of the mail. 
What are the sorts of things in the mail in general? Your instructor evaluations are one class of mail that you're receiving. You have requested that yours be given to you via written correspondence. Sure. And, and every other professor has them like... It's just putting them into a pile. Yeah. One is a set of bill collector payments from a particular collection agency, and they are all addressed to the joint owner of the Economic Independence. She's opening those. Yeah. Scanning them and putting them to the side. Student papers she takes and puts into Tap's inbox. Tap looks delighted, by the way, that she's putting student papers to grade in his inbox. Like, oh, he likes he's doing like, that? He's, he really likes doing that. Tap, jeez. He's a nerd. That's not good, buddy. <laughs> Um, so Tap is helping her sort through this, mm -hmm. and then he grabs a particular piece of mail, and he looks at, like, the stamp on it, and then his eyebrow raises, and then he gets, like, a certain look in his eye, and he says, this one's handwritten, Dr. Laroon. She pauses and looks at him with suspicion. Uh, he sniffs the envelope and says, I recognize this atmosphere. Tap, come on. He, with great glee, hands her an envelope dramatically. She takes it, looks at it, blushes kind of ruddy, and just puts it in her pocket and goes back to sorting through the mail, pointedly not looking at him. At this point, he's fixed his gaze directly on her. She's avoiding him. So Tap waits until she's, like, sorted through two or three more letters, and then he says, Personal correspondence, huh? Tap. What is it this time? What do you mean? I mean, what's in the letter? I'm not going to read it here. Why not? <sighs> Uh, well, it's personal. <laughs> well, what, what do you want from me? Dr. Laroon, you pretend like you hate it when people pry into your personal affairs and then all of a sudden, I'm just saving us some time. I'm just saving us some time. What did he write? This one isn't going to go anywhere, Tap. How do you know? Because he's too young for me. <laughs> Omen's too young for me. Maybe now. And his mom, I don't know. I don't think she wants me around him. Well, thankfully, his mom has nothing to do with you and him. She has a lot to do with me. Well, I know, but this is different. I don't know. Uh, Tappy's young enough to be one of our students. Like, I... But he isn't. Sure, you're right. He's a great kid, okay? I mean, he's really great. But she'd let it go, okay? Tap dramatically grabs one of the pieces of mail, sinks back into his chair and says, Okay, but we're talking about this on this vacation. She pointedly goes back to sorting through mail opens one of the bills, and gets pretty grumbly with it because it is an unacceptable amount. She lifts it kind of fast, mm -hmm. and then another special, oddly shaped package falls. Tap's ears prick up, and then he looks at the desk and he says, Did he write you another letter? He, what? No, uh, hopefully not. Who, who's, who's that from? Lynn picks it up. It's not... I don't know. She smells it. Well, who would even have your office address? Not many people. And opens this one. Yeah. The outside envelope is, it is paper, but it's not the kind of paper that you would be used to. The outside of the envelope is thinner and finer than a lot of the exterior envelopes that you've opened. The paper itself, when you unfold it, is folded very carefully and neatly. And at the bottom of it, there are two tickets. The paper is a thin, fine rice paper. It's an organic bit of paper, which 
a lot of places in the galaxy that still use paper use synthetic paper. But you have developed sort of an appreciation for the finer paper materials, and you're like very happy with this. Like this is this, this is, is good, good stuff. You're the excited. Good stuff. Yeah, you're feeling it, and in your fingers, and you're like very holy excited moly. About it. Yeah, the this good is, stuff. This is good stuff. This is the kind of paper that you would rescue from your pile of detritus <laughs> and stuff like that and put up on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Uh, yeah, in case because you have obviously a bulletin board like a green yeah, like, yeah, yeah. pushpin thing. Anyway, the message itself, we the audience have heard before. So. So it's the exact same message with the exact same bordering flower and somewhat runny raised ink. So it's ink that's embossed, Mm -hmm. but there's also a kind of watery quality to the ink that has been preserved even as it's been mailed to you. Mm -hmm. I guess I should have you make a check about this. Yeah. Yeah. Two failures and three advantages. Two failures and three advantages. So you can't tell the provenance of the paper, but you do have three advantages, which is equivalent to a triumph. So you could do something fairly useful. Can I remember about the library? Yeah. Okay. Lin and Tap uh, see this paper, and I think they both crane over to look at it mm-hmm. and frown down at it. Lin grabs it, feels it smells it it's been like scented yeah it has the scent of the acer flower in it so like it has some petals oh and she like feels up the ink frowns licks it then spits and glares off into the distance and then hands it to tap tap takes the paper but he also goes in the direction of where lynn spit takes a handkerchief out with a long suffering sigh starts cleaning up (laughs) then lynn like points down at it while she's looking off into the distance that's not we didn't make that uh and it's not primitive and i don't think it's human and here's why uh i don't think any of them would care about bothan stuff in any capacity not to that extent do you remember that storage solution that that Lurun was talking about uh the archive yeah yeah the expeditionary one oh yeah, the fairly obscure one that was intended to protect against, was it extreme weather conditions? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the, um, basically like the seed bank, but... Right, yeah, but for books. Yes, so... Quite ingenious, really. Uh, what's a hell? What's a hell? Tap snatches up the, like, envelope, mm-hmm. and then he looks at it and he says, no return address. How rude. She picks it up and glares at the great crystal of Antoni mm-hmm. and then looks over at Tap's ongoing galaxy chart. Yeah, so she looks at his like revolving galaxy chart. Where does her eye focus on? So right now it focuses on Onderon. Mm-hmm. Great crystal of Antoni. Talk me through that one. That is healing stuff, right? Onderon based? Onderon based originally, but if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, pilfered some time ago. Uh, a long time ago, in fact. Uh, by the, um, by Qua enemies. Right. Uh, the ancient enemies of the Qua, which are known in a variety of books and cultures as the variously. Rakata. The Rakata, the builders. Oh, yes. Uh, the Rakata will do. Okay. And then taken to parts unknown. An artifact of great power, if I'm not mistaken. Why are we being contacted? He gingerly takes the paper and like holds it up to the light to see if there's anything written in invisible ink or anything like that. When that doesn't yield any fruits, he hands it back to her and says, I don't know, an old friend of yours? Definitely not. I don't know anyone who would give me something like this. At which point she she takes up the tickets, which are? They are two first-class tickets to a luxury liner known as Lichar's Jewel, which is a Mon Calamari star cruiser, which at this point in the timeline is 
a really nice outer rim galactic cruise. It has like a self-contained aquatic environment where people of the aquatic races really enjoy spending time in. And it's sort of known as like a pleasure cruise that's very expensive, very hard to get tickets for. It's almost always booked. Definitely not the kind of thing that two professors on their on their meager salary would be able to. On their forced administrative leave. On their forced administrative leave would be able to. He picks up one of the tickets, looks at Lynn and says, you don't think the dean sent these to us, do you? Lynn glares at him, then looks back to the star chart Mm -hmm. and recalibrates where, like, from the glowing point being Onderon, she takes it out to the outer reaches. I'm going to have you make an astrogation check. Yeah. Yay! Cool. Uh, two successes and a threat. Okay. Yeah, so Lynn's focus shifts to the area of space where the cruiser is and several potential planets start lighting up. Mm-hmm. What's the threat? I think the threat is Lynn looks down at the tickets and she suddenly realizes that she's going to need a wardrobe if she's going to be going on this cruise. No. And so she's distracted. No! <laughs> she's distracted to the tune of like a setback on her next. Yeah, that makes sense. Exciting. A bunch of planets start lighting up. She looks down at the tickets. She looks over at Tap, who's still like he's looking at her expectedly and she reaches over and touches his spavat we're gonna need nicer clothes tap looks down and he looks up i thought you'd never ask and i think we have to we have to cut there scene transition yeah so i think that this star wars transition the planets mm-hmm. that are uh, that are on the way all start lighting up and then when they get to the edge of the frame the frame spins around the way uh, a spiral galaxy would back out to the chiss cruiser that's very much Gross. Okay. When are we supposed to go from... No, that's a Spielberg transition. I wanted to do a thematic transition. Next time. Because I'm tasteful. But, uh-huh. but, but we're Lucasfilm now. Is that now. what it is? Yeah, we're Lucasfilm, so we can't do nope, that. No, nope, we're doing a disgusting transition now. <laughs> so uh, so the Chiss kids have changed outfits. Yep. We were talking about outfits. Yep. We could have been elegant, mm-hmm. but we're not. No. So just so you, the audience, know... Understand the missed opportunity here. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the two chists that we're about to see used to be wearing black uniforms with burgundy stripes and are now wearing white uniforms with burgundy stripes. The kind that you would see in the art that we did oh, for the yeah, game. Oh, yeah. The game has, yeah. Yeah. Because they're now doing work for the defense fleet. As opposed to doing, like... Their standard Their job. standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The two chists are now standing in front of the Corellian freighter that we glimpsed part of before. It's a Hawk 290. The Hawk 290 is kind of an angular freighter with like sort of four solar panels that come out from the back, kind of like wings. And the front of it kind of looks like an eagle's beak. And the two chists are standing directly in front of this freighter. Do they have any extra baggage or anything? I believe that the freighter itself already has all the provisions that they need. Yes. Packed on it because all property is communal. So why would they, they, why would they, they pack their own anything. thing? Yeah. No. Yeah. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. Inefficient. Thrawn is standing in front of the freighter and Thrinpo is to his right. And he turns to her and he says, Lieutenant, what can you tell me about the engines of this vessel? I'll roll a mechanics check. What's the difficulty? This is fairly obscure to you, so I would say hard. I am a very good mechanic. Uh, So we'll see how this goes. I've never worked with anything like this before. Mm -hmm. Oh, nicely done. But it 
Oh, oh yeah. a success. Yeah, a success. And a triumph. Two successes and a triumph with one threat. Okay. So Thrinpo's mouth tightens slightly, and then she briskly walks into the ship uh-huh. and turns on the computer system and mm-hmm. starts working at it for a little while mm-hmm. before turning around and remembering Thrawn is still there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he followed her on at some point, yep. I'm sure. Yep. And looking up to deliver her information. Their hyperdrives are less advanced than ours. However, they do not have the benefit of our sensor data. The calculations must be manually input with each jump, which is much slower and inefficient overall. However, allows them to process much longer jumps than our own ships. Furthermore, since they are not beholden on our sensors, they are capable of pushing beyond Chiss space in a way that we are currently incapable. Overall, while clunky, certainly, this system is far more independent than any of the ships that we currently produce. Thrawn strokes his chin. Fascinating. What can you tell me about the beings that might use such a ship? Thrinpo takes one hand off of her data pad Mm -hmm. and touches it to her chin. Individuals that value independence foremost over the height of technology or defense, I would say, those with a vast knowledge of the many possibilities that the galaxy holds, furthermore. Thrawn's eyes kind of shine. An adequate analysis, Lieutenant. Follow me. And he strides towards the back of the ship, past the cargo hold, to where the quarters are aboard the ship. She um, curiously looks at all of the ship as they pass. Mm-hmm. What else is in here? So the Hawk is a freighter that's used for both cargo transport and favored by smugglers. So I imagine there are a variety of hidden compartments that we can get into later and search for and whatever. We don't need to talk about that now. But but they're noticeable. They're noticeable. There is the standard table with a Daedric module, Mm. uh, which is the only thing Thrawn's gaze passes on (laughs) as they walk by. Mm -hmm. And gosh, I mean, I guess there's a refresher and there's a bunch of like others. It's what you would expect from a cramped ship a third the size of the Falcon, I would say. So for our listeners, if they're curious about scale. And so he ends up in the back of the ship, right where the quarters are. And then he turns to Thrinpo and he says with a lot of courtesy, he's just like, Lieutenant, where is your preferred sleeping position? Thrinpo looks at the bunk beds. Mm -hmm. Her eyes narrow slightly. Chiss sleeping quarters are nice. Yeah. They're opulent, (laughs) I would say. They're opulent. And we are both officers. Yeah. So we have very nice quarters. But even when we had... Like cadet quarters. Cadet quarters, the bunk beds were cool. Yeah. They weren't this. These are like the equivalent of like cots on hinges. Yeah. It's not good. This isn't good. Yeah. Think about like, think about what a down on their luck Karelian smuggler would have as quarters and, you know. Yeah. She like starts to move towards them in assessment and then stops herself (laughs) and then straightens slightly. The most logical arrangement would allow for you to have the bottom bunk, seeing as you are much taller than I am. And I would take the top and she turns abruptly and her eyes are shining slightly. Uh. However, when I was a small child, and though I was an only child, my parents purchased me a bunk bed and I was able to pick whichever bunk I preferred. And while the bottom bunk is certainly the most stable position, I picked the top out of preference. Logic does not always dictate choice, which is your preference. Thrawn, he, he's like motionless listening to everything that Thrinpo says. He considers for a few moments and then 
So you, sorry, you picked the first, the top bunk out of preference? That's what she said she picked as a kid. Was the top bunk? Yeah, but she's trying to get his, so she's going to roll a charm check. Okay. There is a, like, a blinking question mark query in Thrawn Vision right now. He doesn't really get where this is going, but he's trying not to register. Three successes and a threat. Cool. Perfect. So Thrawn turns to her. Uh, and so just to be clear, her goal is to get the top bunk here? No. Her goal is to get the bottom bunk? No. Her goal is to assess what his actual preference is. So here's the data that you get from this. Mm-hmm. Thrawn intended this as an exercise to try to figure out more about his assistant here. And the fact that she's asking him and has maneuvered him into revealing his own preference is like kind of causing him to blue screen a little bit. Yep. So he he takes a little bit longer to respond to this than then would make sense and says logic would indicate that the bottom bunk uh, would be most efficient and then he goes and sits down on it she straightens and nods and then puts her pad onto the top bunk so the scene transition here mm-hmm. it's not really a scene transition it's a time passes transition thrawn uh, sits back against the back of the bunk and the lights start to dim artificially and it's not that times pass because oh, they're not on a planet okay yeah i i like you get this. what they're doing yeah so it's a, they're in bed now yeah asleep right and the things that we would have seen yeah the time pass on a planet right but time can't pass on a planet exactly so they have artificially set circadian cycles yep and so that's what we're seeing here basically and thrawn sits with his back stiff against the wall and with his feet on the bunk we see like time pass and the darkness fall and then we just see his eyes glowing and then the camera pans up and we see thrinpo the glow of her eyes but also the glow of her data pad that she's constantly tapping on. yes she is uh still up as she always is mm-hmm. and tapping on her data pad as she always is the camera stays on her and we hear off camera lieutenant a moment of your time you're still awake commander her eyes significantly narrow and she looks over the side i apologize for disturbing your work I would welcome your insight regarding our upcoming mission. The camera pulls out to feature the both of them, and she turns the off button on her data pad, so it's just the two glowing sets of red eyes in the dark. Anything. Much appreciated, Lieutenant. There's a long pause. What do you know of this Severance town? Ah, not so much. Uh, simply that she left the Ascendancy and is currently working with one called Aduku, I believe. That is what our intelligence reports state. I do not know what she was to the Ascendancy. I have only seen the ramifications for her leaving. I concur. The report does not indicate this individual's reasons for leaving Scylla. This bothers you? I'm curious. I would... Welcome your analysis on the matter. What do we know? At this, like, Thrawn's <laughs> mouth gets a little bit wider, like there's a tiny micro-smile going on, and he says, like, almost under his breath, excellent. Scylla is home to the dominant civilization in galactic space, an enlightened civilization where its people are well-protected and cared for. Lichis ascendancy is all that remains between the wider unknown galaxy and any number of existential threats. And yet, this Severance Tan saw fit to leave the relative safety and enlightenment of the Chiss borders and seek her fortune within the tumultuous Galactic Republic. I cannot fathom such a choice. 
Why do you study art? There is a long pause. Art gives me greater insight into the choices of my fellow beings. Were I able to study some art produced by this Severance Tan, I, I may be more likely to understand her choices. Unfortunately, I lack such... Uh... No. Do you enjoy it? Is it your preference? It is efficient, Lieutenant. Aristocrat Sabison on Raylar. His eyebrows raise. He's familiar with the individual in question. What think you of their interior decorating skills? At this, Thrawn, like, outright smiles. It's like the first time we've seen... It's a tight smile, but <laughs> it's a it smile. is a smile. Not all chairs are blessed with the same eye for detail. <laughs> Thrawn post smiles slightly. Indeed. You and your brother put a great deal of attention into your personal appearance and the appearance of your homesteads. He more than I, Thrawn acknowledges. <laughs> Her smile increases. <laughs> it is your preference. Indeed. And yet this preference does not hinder my service to the Chase Ascendancy. Does it aid it? I believe that it does. In what capacity? In the case of myself and my brother. Our developed eye for detail is what enables us to serve the Ascendancy with a superior degree of insight and makes us more efficient at achieving outcomes for Admiral Arlani. Would you not have the same eye for detail without the attention to your homesteads and personal appearance? It is the cultivation of this grooming that enabled my brother and I to develop these instincts. I cannot fathom a more efficient route to possessing this knowledge. Indeed. However, what if your preferences were harmful to the aristocra? His eyes glitter. You border on heresy, Lieutenant. In what capacity? I propose a theoretical. He says, almost chewing his words, continue. Is it not possible that a Chiss may have preferences that might harm the aristocra? Thrawn says, sort of distractedly, in the way that someone quoting an axiom that has been drilled into them when they were a child, an attack against one Chiss is an attack against all Chiss. But he, like, sort of slumps down on his bunk, and there's a pause after which, when Thryn Poe doesn't respond to that, he says, Thank you, Lieutenant. I found our conversation most illuminating. If you might indulge me further, I have some questions about the region to which we are traveling. Ah. She goes to grab her data pad and misses it and reaches further and sits up and hits her head. There is a thunk and she goes, ah! Uh, Thrawn like sits Ramrod up straight. He jumps out of the bunk bed, turns around, looks up at her and says, are you all right, Lieutenant? She has her data pad now and is sitting and rubbing at her head and looks somewhat surprised to see him standing up. Oh, I am fine. A superficial wound then. Indeed. It is a result of the low ceiling of the top bunk. Thrawn rubs his chin and says, And yet an avoidable injury. She smiles slightly. A worthwhile sacrifice. At this, Thrawn's eyes glitter, and he's like processing this. Almost abruptly, or what passes for abruptly, he says, The citizens of the Galactic Republic, they are unlike the Chiss. Very much so, in every way, it seems. And yet one of our number deigned to join them. What possible reason... Could this tan have, I wonder? She crawls out from beneath the covers and swings her legs to the side. There are two possible reasons that a Chiss may leave the Ascendancy and join the Republic. The first, they align with the ideals of the Republic. The second, they no longer align with the ideals of the Chiss. Thrawn says softly, almost to himself, there is a third possibility. 
Thrinpo had looked very confident, mm-hmm. and her eyes start searching the room, and uh, she settles onto his face. Now that he's standing, and she's they're they're around the same height now. Yeah. What is it? Exile. Her eyes glaze. An extremely rare punishment inflicted by the Aristocra, to be sure. However, a punishment that has existed in our history. I wonder if this Severance Tan left our number willingly. Would any? Would we know? Is there a way that we would know? Thrawn looks at the data pad, and then he looks back at Thrinpo, and he says, I believe we are on our way to find out. This? Make a perception check. Yep. So three successes, a triumph, and a threat. Okay. So you know something is bothering her. Which is a success. I think with the triumph, you know exactly what it is. The thought of exile is something that she hadn't like, considered, considered yeah. and it is really bothering her. That's my part of all of this. Mm-hmm. The threat, if you have ideas, because I can do stuff, but with this sort of role, I don't have... Anything on chambered? Yeah, because it's like, this is emotional stuff, you know? And he like, takes perception. <laughs> he can take He doesn't strain. like this. No, he doesn't. This is very uncomfortable. He's also very bad at all and of this. he's terrible at it. So yeah. I'm going to have Mithran Nuruoto take some strain. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he also, he probably, I mean, I don't think he knows how to handle this. No, uh, he has an idea. Okay. He's just, this is okay. what he's going to try. Okay, This Thrawn. is what he's going to try. Let's see how it goes. So Thrawn's head, like, he sort of like inclines his head towards Thrinpo. Mm-hmm. And he notices that the Thrawn vision focuses on Thrinpo. And there's a little like line coming from her. And it says in Chiyun, like distress, <laughs> basically. And then underneath it says solutions. And then there's like three or four different possibilities in Chiyun. And he like selects one of them. And then he turns directly towards Mithrin Pephorian and says, Worry not, Lieutenant. I will endeavor to make sure that such a punishment is reserved only for our most egregious criminals. Mithrin Pephorian smiles a tight smile that does not reach her eyes. So Thrawn's little Thrawn vision comes up, and underneath the, like, solution that he had just branched off, another line appears that says, failure. (laughs) (laughs) This, okay. (laughs) The Republic, Commander. Yes? You had questions about the Republic. I did. The day may come, Mithrin Pephorian, when our people must take a more active hand in the affairs of the Republic. For now, we must take great care not to exceed the mandate given us by Admiral Arlani, and achieve our ends with as little interference as possible. Such a delicate balance would not be possible without more intelligence about the region in which we are traveling. We are taught as cadets to make studies of our opponents in order to better understand them. Indeed, to defeat your opponent, you must first know them. I've never heard that before. Thrawn's eyes glitter and he changes the subject. You input the navigational coordinates this morning. To which region are we traveling? We are headed to the expansion region, to a planet called Ancien. Ancien. I do not believe I have heard that name before. It is of no consequence. It is simply where the pleasure cruise liner Leechar's Jewel will be passing through. I see. Our goal is to board the Leechar's Jewel as it achieves orbit around the Ancien system. Indeed. Interesting. What is the most efficient means for achieving our objective? Mithrin Pephorian's eyes widen slightly. Ah, no, Commander, we do not have tickets. Um, <laughs> Thrawn, like, strokes his chin a little bit and then says, What do you think the most effective means of infiltration will be? Thrimpo's forehead tightens. I do recall you enjoy disguises. 
Thrun's smile does reach his eyes. The tension releases in her forehead and she turns around her data pad where she has research on the uniform of the service employees of the Moncal cruisers. Thrawn puts his hand on her shoulder and says, An occasion on which my preference and the most efficient means of intrusion are one and the same, Lieutenant. <laughs> and there is a smile in his voice. End of episode. Now, how about a Dear Economic Independence letter? Uh, Lintel? Yeah? Uh, I found a missive from some of our students. We still have a few hours until we need to dock with the cruise liner, so I figure that we could catch up on some correspondence. I mean, this is, after all, a working vacation. I guess we should just record these, since we can't really send letters, obviously. I know you prefer the written correspondence, but we're in hyperspace, so... Oh, just record them? Yeah, we'll just record them, and then we'll send the transmission just before we board the cruise liner, and then we won't have to worry about it. Okay. Do people do this? Answer student mail? But like this way, are we going, is it like video? No, no, no. It's just, it's purely audio. Purely audio. We're not even doing hollow. No, we don't need to do hollow. Okay. I, I guess I'm on board. If we record them right now, mm -hmm. we can transmit them all at once. Sure. As soon as we jump out of hyperspace. Okay. That makes sense. And hollow is too much trouble. Sure. We can um, have someone like parse them all yeah, yeah, out and absolutely. send them to students individually. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So the first one comes from, oh, this one is for you. Dear Dr. Laroon, um, lately I have been seeing a handsome fellow who's been approaching me in my dreams, hmm. uh, and he seems to have sort of a scary vibe around him, and it looks like he's putting on the moves. Have you dug up any appropriate romance tips? Dug up, that's a pun, Dr. Laroon, because archaeologists... You don't need to point out puns. Don't I? No. Uh, he's cute, and I'd like to feel the force, if you know what I mean. That seems unnecessary. He tells me I should call him Exarkun. Exarkun? Exarkun? Kun. So this student is experiencing hallucination, has decided to ask you about it for some reason. We'll get into why. Uh, how, how's it signed? Um, it's signed Sleepless on Salonia. Don't they attend Sombra? Yes, they do. This is from a student. Oh, it just must be alliteration for the sake of... Don't you participate in the, like, the columns where they... Column? Where students ask for, like, advice? They don't make you do that? No. Really? Really. Gosh. Corelli has been having me answer things like this, like, for months now. Well, you should be so lucky. No, now I feel like I'm being, like, punked. Hmm, maybe you are being punked. It might be because you're on leave so often with the, uh... <sighs> with the Explore Corps. Okay. Well, I mean, this does seem to be kind of Explore Corps related. I've been taking them seriously. Should I not be taking them seriously? Should I just be... I don't know what to do now. Am well, this, I just being punked? This is clearly a joke. Well, it might not be. It, okay, for a moment. Okay. We, you know what I do with Explore Corps, right? Uh, I try not to think about it. Sometimes I work with Jedi. Okay. So sometimes, like, they theoretically might be visited by people in their dreams, I think. Can't Jedi do that? I think they can. Can they not? There are records of... Well, I assume that was allegory or myth. I think they can be visited. Or, or legends at worst. I think they can be visited by people in their dreams. Like, actually. Sometimes my dads talk to me in my dreams. But that's just, like, that's just you having, like, bad memories. Well, how do we know this isn't just a person having bad memories? And it seems to be good. Hmm. So they want romance tips from you. I don't want to give romance tips to a student. Yeah. This is what's weird to me about this whole arrangement. Kids ask for, like, romance advice all the time, and I don't really feel comfortable giving them any romance. From you? You're right. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, Tap, you don't have to be rude. I'm not. I'm not being rude. I just... <laughs> students ask you for romance tips? Yes. <laughs> What? No, it's, I'm sure you're very good at giving romantic advice. What's wrong with, 
I think I happen to do very well. Okay. What's wrong? So, um, well, getting to the point, maybe we should answer this person's question. <sighs> How can they even tell if this Exarchoon is single? Ask him. What, the next time they dream? Yes. Oh, that makes sense. Do you really think they should be talking to strange people in their sleep? No. So that we should tell them to, to cut this off? Well, I, I don't think this is a good idea. Why not? Well, say that they are... Uh, say that they're like a Jedi or something, right? Sure. Someone starts visiting you in your dream. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a trap. Why? Because why would someone be visiting you in your dreams? I don't know. Maybe they're thinking of you. They're sending you a nice message. Feels suspicious. Feels like a bad idea. Okay. If they cared about you, they'd visit you in person. Send you flowers. Flowers? What's wrong with flowers? No, it's just, I don't know. You went immediately to flowers. Flowers are nice. Okay. Tap, what's wrong with flowers? N nothing's wrong with I'm flowers. I'm allowed to like flowers. N I didn't say you weren't allowed to like flowers. Flowers are perfectly lovely. I have seen a lot of wilted flowers in your office, now that I think about it. Because you never water them. Now you're going to turn this into harping on my office cleanliness? Well, you know, I feel eventually some of it might get through, so why not keep trying? I'm not in my office, Tap, because I'm busy we doing can, other things. We can tell you're not in your office because we're able to speak and hear each other and not just be buried under piles of paperwork. If the flowers were sent to where I actually am, I would water them. How can anyone possibly track where you are? Right, so they're not exactly effective gifts, but I do quite like them, and if I were around to receive them, I would take care of them. So if this Exarchoon sent you a bouquet of flowers in your dreams, how would you respond? If they were in my dreams, I'd be like, who are you? Are you alive? What's your deal? So you think there's some basic information that this person is lacking. What's the, what do you think is the worst that could happen to this student? We should prepare them for the worst. The worst? Yeah. Uh, like some terrifying ghost from the past is trying to take over your body. That seems far-fetched. Really? Yeah. Why? How would, and even, I didn't realize that I didn't realize that the dark side was capable of that. I think it is. Is it not? I was pretty sure it was. I don't know. I mean, I've read about some strange goings on with dark magics and that sort of thing, but I didn't realize that... Well, you asked me what I thought was possible. Sure, sure. I'm not... I'm honestly curious. I'm really not 100% on any of this. Again, I wasn't even sure whether or not they could talk to each other in their sleep. So there's a whole lot that I What's really... What's the utility value of such a power? I don't... Again, you know, there's a lot that they do that doesn't feel. I don't think the, I don't think this force stuff is very well thought out. It definitely isn't well thought out, and I mean, they do a lot that seems like super inconvenient. At least to them. You work with the Explore Corps. Have yes. any of them sent you messages in your sleep? No, no, never. Hmm. And honestly, a lot of what they do creeps me out. Yeah, that hand waving thing. I'm not, I'm not a fan. No, don't like that. I've seen a bunch of them like mm. do that to someone, and it's like. It's like torture, you know? It's like worse than torture because they don't even know you're doing it. Right. It's like bad. Yeah. But that's different than like talking to people in their dreams. And also some of them are like, um, they can see like stuff in the future that might happen. Come on. No. Dr. Laroon. What? They can't see the future. I think they can. That's what they say the people on the council do. Or at least some of them. I'm not sure which ones. But that's what they say that they do. And that's like... I bet Master Yoda could do it. I'm sure he can. They trust him with, like, everything, right? Yeah. And they, like... I mean, look at him. He looks like he'd be capable of almost anything. And they have, like, supreme authority. Maybe what they can do is beyond our comprehension. But I do think that if any of them sent me... Even if any of them sent me a dream, I would be very suspicious of it. 
I would be extremely suspicious of it. So that's how I... Don't talk to anyone in your dreams. Stop talking to people in your dreams. Be like, hey, if you like me, come and talk to me in person. And, and, if you think they might be a forced ghost trying to steal your body, you should tell a peer. They have peer counseling for this sort of thing. Yes. Students have many resources. There are a lot of places in the university that they could talk to. If they believe that there is a handsome, possibly Sith ghost trying to steal their body, at the very least, they should talk to someone about it. Right. And And not keep it from the rest of their student peers until... I don't know, they explode or something or burn from the inside out or some sort of horrible fate. And if you are like at the temple or something, go to an adult, go to someone like go to Master Yoda or someone. You know, I think we might be being too harsh on this particular student. This particular student is asking us what to do. And you're going to an adult right now. And you're you're actually adult. doing a really good job. Good job. Thank you for doing this. We, Tap and I, don't know enough about the things that you're asking us about. You know what? Maybe go to the, uh, maybe go to the Jedi Temple and have have their yes. droids check you out. Maybe have their healers check you out. See if there's something going on. And see if they can get someone who works with the Force to check you out. Yes. And if this Exarch bothers you again, you should tell Master Yoda. Yes. Better plan. Uh, that is our advice. And uh, Corellia, if this is just a student pranking me and this is, this is you pranking me, uh, your days are numbered and I will figure it out. That'll show her. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Campaign Side Trip. The crew of the Economic Independence will be back again next week. Thanks to all our Patreon backers. To defeat an enemy, you must know them.